1: Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. We're going to talk a little college football as always, but Bruce, uh, I just wanted to say real quick, thank you to everybody who gave us kind words about the podcast we did last week about the ESPN layoffs. If you haven't heard that yet, uh, go find it on our Apple Podcast feed or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. It says ESPN layoffs right in the title. It was kind of depressing, honestly, but we've heard a lot of,
2: people say they appreciated that conversation yeah and look i think it's it's really beyond just espn i think it's kind of an industry-wide thing so uh again i would like to be more optimistic about it but i think there's a lot of things in, in the job world that sometimes feel like they're trending in that direction so but uh moving along this is the first podcast we've we've done since the end of the nfl draft which is really finished up over the weekend uh, before we get into some larger topics in that, there was one thing that, that kind of struck me as that we should talk about this. So you and I both agreed Deshaun Watson was the best uh, quarterback in college football last year, right? Even though we didn't vote for him for the Heisman. Uh, fair to say after him leading Clemson to a national title.
1: Yeah, and in fact, I, don't, I can't remember a situation where college writers were more united in, in defense of a college prospect.
2: Right. So um, – our uh, our our friend Barrett Salee, who's been a guest on this podcast, I saw he had tweeted out early this morning uh, a reminder that we live in a world where a group of professional football scouts willingly took Mitchell Trubisky over Deshaun Watson. Now, while I would tend to agree with him, I do keep in mind that like these those guys who do it, and it's not just a professional scouts. It's because a lot of times scouts aren't the ones who make the who are the decision maker in there. It could be a uh, it could be a it's a GM usually, but What's the reality that those guys whose livelihoods are tied into it actually know more about their game than we do? Well, so I'll take it twofold. First of all, I think this would be a
1: different story if you were comparing two players with similar profiles. Like, for instance, um, I believe Colt McCoy and Sam Bradford were in the same draft. They played about the same amount of football. They both had success. scouts were NFL was obviously a lot higher on Bradford. This is a case where they... And by the way, didn't just take Trubisky ahead of him, but the Bears traded up to number two just to get this guy. You're talking about three-year starter, uh, national champion, two-time national championship game, versus one-year starter, Sun Bowl. I think that's why we're all so indignant. Um, But beyond that, do they know more about evaluating quarterbacks than I do? Yes. But I also feel like... And I said this on Twitter Thursday night when he slipped to number 12. I think they outthink themselves sometimes. I think – I mean Peter King's uh, MMQB Monday morning was fantastic. had all these behind-the-scenes details from uh, inside the 49ers war room. And he said there were more – like almost 30 people inside that room. These guys – it's just too –
2: they don't take the simplest route. There's also 30 people inside – the war rooms at Ohio State and LSU and every other program come signing day, too. So, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I'm not.
1: Are all those people involved in every little decision along the way of the recruiting pro? pro like, every any scholarship player that Ohio State offers, no, are there 30 different people weighing in? A,
2: I don't think they're taking it up to a vote and saying it hey, you know, regional scout from from the ACC, what do you think versus this? You know, like they all have their own process, but I don't think it works like that.
1: So, I mean, I just think they spent four months analyzing the tape of these guys. The easy route would have been, well, Deshaun Watson, national champ, let Heisman runner-up, we're taking him. The will-look-like-geniuses route is taking the guy from UNC who played one year but who looks great on physically and... We're going to trade up. He's going to become our franchise quarterback, and we're going to look like heroes. And I just think they outsmart themselves sometimes in an attempt to be, you know, because like kind of like we're saying, right? Like you and I, they could have, they don't have to pay anybody. They could just ask us, who would you take? And we'd say Deshaun Watson. These guys, God knows how many millions of dollars they invested in the scouting process to be able to say, we did all our homework, and we feel very confident saying Trubisky is better than Watson.
2: Yeah, I, I think having said that, though, there's a lot of times we would be wrong. I mean, I think most fans, a lot of fans would have, or a lot of college football media would have said Vince Young, right? A lot of them would have said Tim Tebow. I was very high on our guy, Matt Leinard. Yes, I was too. Uh, but Tim Tebow, great college quarterback. So that, what's
1: the what's the biggest knock on Watson
2: is the interceptions, right? Yes, they don't trust his his accuracy downfield.
1: Well, it's funny that I've become to his defense like this because, as you know, I was down on him all of last regular season because of the interceptions, and I've said it on here several times. I just kind of did a reversal once we got to the playoffs, and I started to understand their offense better and the fact that they had Mike Williams and they had uh, Artavis Scott and all these guys, and they could just Dion Kane and they could just Jordan take chances. It, yeah. yeah, I think. Um, th- I don't know, you know, I you can tell me who who often gets compared to the most in terms of like physical mold, but in terms of profile, it reminds me a little bit of Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan came out of BC and he had he's kind of similar
2: like a lot of interceptions. But he uh, didn't have, Matt Ryan didn't have, have the kind of athletes around him that that uh Deshaun Well, he
1: also have. and he also didn't lead his team to the national championship. So um, to me, that at the time seemed questionable. I remember questioning why do they consider him this good, and then he obviously lived up to it. So I, I don't know. To me, the, the greater success of his profile – Now, I'll tell you what. The one – Trubisky Watson, we've been conditioned to that debate for months. The fact that Patrick Mahomes, who you at one point on this podcast, said that you had a QB coach in the NFL tell yeah. you he
2: was undraftable –
1: undraftable no, that number he would 10 would not be a
2: starting quarterback that he would not take him as a, it didn't see him as a, as a quarterback in the NFL number 10 in
1: the entire draft ahead of Watson to me that's that's much that's even riskier uh why is he I'm not saying you shouldn't ever take an air raid quarterback but why is he the exception to Graham Harrell and a gazillion other guys because he has out a bigger arm than Graham Harrell does he has a tremendous I mean you've seen the tape he throws the ball 70 80 yards downfield You. it's like I can't remember who said this once but they're like these guys that get so obsessed with the arm strength like how often and you never gonna have to throw 70 yards in a game you know most no, of the, I
2: don't think it's I don't think it's that throw Stu that necessarily is the one that That the NFL scouts look at it's the throws like it's the deep out and how how slow the ball gets out of his arm or not, how much juice there is in his arm. And that was the thing i had heard about uh, Nate Peterman. They didn't think he had enough juice to drive the ball where he was. They thought he was really smart and that he could play in the NFL. But that's the that's the reservation. That was a reservation on Graham Harrell. To be honest, that's a reservation on our on uh, on Matt Barkley. You know that there are a lot of guys that they just don't have enough arm to make the kind of throws because the window is so so much smaller in the NFL than it is in college. If Matt Barkley didn't have arm strength, how was he the consensus
1: big time quarterback recruit coming out of high school?
2: Because he has enough arm strength to do it in in uh, in college. It's just a different game.
1: I will never understand fully what these guys are looking for. Um, at one point. What round I mean,
2: what? Sch- Skyler Howard put up really big numbers for West Virginia last year. Now, he obviously doesn't have prototype size, but he didn't have the arm that I think they realized was going to translate to the NFL. How about C.J. Bethard going ahead C.J. of Brad Bethard, Kaya? Yeah. Again, I think that that's like a case where it's a little it's like Mahomes. It's it's beauties in the eye of the beholder. I think you could ask 10 different personnel guys and you probably get seven different opinions.
1: So can we kind of look at a little bit bigger picture here? Um, One of the stories of this draft to me from a college perspective is the fact that the Big 12, our friend Andy Staples has the data. Here we go. Most players drafted by conference. SEC once again leads with 53. ACC 43, Pac-12 36, Big 10 35. You assume the Big 12 would be the fifth one, right? But no, it's the AAC With 15, you know they want to be known as the Power Six, and they are one ahead of the Big 12 with 14. They do have more teams, but so if you go by per school, then it's uh, Big 12 1.4 per team, AAC 1.3, but that's way behind the other Power Conferences. And by the way, it's not all that unusual for the Big 12, which had 1.6 in 2014, 2.5 in 15, and 2.6 last year. Those are all below well below the sec acc pac-12 level you know we've said it before but uh this is extremely disturbing you know the for the big 12 because there's a direct correlation but you know we we mocked them a lot last year they did not have much success they didn't even you know their their champion couldn't even contend for the playoff and then the draft numbers come out and it's kind of validates it well they just didn't have the talent are you were you were you surprised by this Surprised it was that low. Now, I will say for anybody looking to project this forward, you know this time period that that Andy's citing here. I don't think you can stress enough how much Texas's dysfunction contributes to that number. Because when Texas is clicking, they're going to be turning out what seven, eight players a year on their own, uh, if not more. So, I mean, this is a this is a program that has you know access to the to the deepest pool of talent in their state, and, I mean, there have been years recently when, you know, the Charlie Strong's first couple years inheriting him from Mac Brown, there were a couple of years where they didn't have anybody drafted.
2: They haven't had an offensive lineman drafted in, like, a decade, which is mind-boggling. How, what did they end up doing in this draft? Uh, Deontay Foreman was yep. drafted. That's it? I believe so.
1: Okay, so I think that all you need to know about—not all you need to know, but, I mean, obviously— when they lost Texas AM and and when they lost Nebraska, they lost two schools that produce, generally speaking,
2: a lot of draft picks. So Actually, Missouri produces a lot of draft oh, picks. Of
1: course. I mean, they keep turning out. They had another first-round defensive lineman. So, and you replace them with TCU and West Virginia, who aren't putting up those kind of numbers. But even with that, I mean, Texas has had uh, one player drafted in each of the past two drafts. They had one, two, three, four, five in 2015, and then none in 2014. So three of the last four years, Texas has had no more than one player drafted. I mean, that's insane.
2: It is a head-scratcher. I mean, you know, and I think people can kind of look for all kinds of reasons. I just, I just think it speaks to the lack of talent. They haven't recruited that well. You look back to last, just, you know— Whatever it was, two months ago was signing day. There was one Big 12 program, Oklahoma, that had a top 25 ranked class. I mean, that's, it should not be that way. It just shouldn't. And, you know, looking further, the best players, the most highly recruited players in the state of Texas ended up. Most of them, almost all of them, left. I think Texas signed only one of the top 20 ranked players on 247's uh, rankings in state, and that was the number 20 player, Sam Ellinger. More than that, in this draft, and this is about the Big 12 we're talking about, four of the top 10 players were Texans. Three are from the DFW areas, and none of them went to Texas. The only one who went into the Big 12 was the 10th pick overall. The aforementioned Pat Mahomes. So I think that's a, a huge role in it. They're not getting the best players in the state of Texas. And, of course,
1: one of the main reasons the AAC had more picks was because Houston had a whole bunch of them.
2: Yeah, big shout-out to Tony Levine because I think he had six of his guys that he recruited in those three years have ended up getting drafted.
1: Well, I was just going to say the guy who coached them in the last two years is now the coach of Texas. What about this observation from Andy? See how you agree. See if you agree. Uh, What don't NFL teams like about the Big 12? Only the offenses and the defenses. Going to last season, the Air Raid and Art Briles' offenses had proliferated so thoroughly that many NFL coaches and scouts viewed the Big 12 as a league playing an entirely different sport. Last season, Kansas State had the only offense that didn't come from either the Hal mummy mike leach or bryles teams nfl types especially hate the offensive line play because players rarely operate out of three-point stances and even though the teams pass quite frequently players don't have to hone many of the pass protection skills they'll need in the nfl um with mahomes being a obvious exception do you think the kind of offense they play in the conference is hurting nfl player development and if so I would think that's having a direct impact on recruiting because guys want to go where they know they can get drafted.
2: I don't know if I agree with that just in this regard. You know, when Kevin Sumlin got to A&M, Cliff Kingsbury was his offensive coordinator. You know, then he had Jake Spavitol, who came from... They have a, run a variation of the air raid. And they've had 11 offensive players drafted just since 2013, offensive alone. And of those, one, two, three, four five six of them are offensive linemen now to me again not everybody runs what leach runs but that that has been a variation since someone's been there of the air raid you can say Noel mazzoni doesn't do it but that's only that was only last year this past year Mm -hmm. so i i'm not sure i buy that so then it is more just you know i just don't think the talent is just good enough i mean i i i You know see these teams up close and I don't think when you look at even the the top teams um, You know Oklahoma State one of the better defensive players in the conference was Vincent Taylor defensive tackle It wasn't like he got drafted high, you know, you just look and see a lot of these guys who are just You know, they, they have some they have some talent, but I I really hate to say it but I think in the last few years their talent especially on defense is closer to the AAC than it is to the SEC.
1: Ouch! And then I was just looking at Oklahoma. Now, they're the two-time defending conference champ. I believe they've only lost one conference game in the last two years. And they've had guys drafted, but I want to just compare here, okay? Peak Bob Stoops, 2010. You had Sam Bradford, Gerald McCoy, Trent Williams, and Jermaine Gresham all go in the first round. They had three more guys later than that the year before um well the two years before that they had five guys go each of those years 2006 they had six 2005 another big year jamal brown mark clayton what number uh first round picks broadney pool mark bradley and dan cody second round picks and then one two three four five six more after that okay so coming off these two big 12 championship teams they had this year Joe Mixon second round, D.D. Westbrook and Samajay P. round fourth round, Jordan Evans sixth round. Last year, Sterling Shepard second round, Charles Tapper fourth round, Zach Sanchez Chan- Zach Sanchez fifth round, Devonte Boyd sixth round. I mean, those are not the kind of numbers where Michigan
2: had eleven guys drafted this year. You that know, was, but Michigan was a you know that was a backloaded group. They weren't cranking that out the previous couple of years. Fine, a you know how they... many
1: guys Alabama, LSU are putting in every year, Ohio State. I mean, clearly, based on what the NFL is telling us, Oklahoma is not close to that kind of elite talent they No, they level.
2: are not. They're, they're not in terms of the depth. Certainly not, no. But look, Miami had nine, I think, this year. Miami, Miami can't was. stay off that. Every year they're high on that list, and every
1: year they go nine and four. We'll see if uh, Rick can change that. So I want to transition here to a somewhat related topic. Um, I did my post-spring... Top 25. It went up Tuesday morning. You probably have seen it by now. How high do you have Stanford after your visit there? You were, you were all gung-ho. Top five? Uh, no, 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 no. Man, you're, you're, you read way too much into those comments. I, what I wanted to note was that after we just spent all this time bashing the Big 12, and this is not intentional. I don't go into this saying I need to put X number of teams from a conference. It just plays out the way it plays out. Oklahoma 8th. Oklahoma State 10th. Kansas State 14th, West Virginia 15th. That's four Big 12 teams in the top 15, and I got Texas further down the list. So it may be that, you know, I haven't necessarily studied the draft prospects of these teams, but it may be that it was
2: just a case of a lot of young teams. Well, as I, I like your pick of West Virginia, but they also have only three starters back on defense, so we can't say that they were that uh, that. that young last year um the the one i agree with most of your big 12ness i i like k-state i don't like them quite as much as you do i i think they're a top 25 team i wouldn't put them in the top 15 um there was one thing that jumped out at me at your at your top 25 okay it's criticism you ready for it yes you are way down on Florida State compared to almost everybody else I I know.
1: And when you say way down, seventh. Seventh. So fair point about Florida State, but let's look at the teams I have ahead of them, and you can tell me who I'm nuts to have higher than Florida State. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, USC. Number four, Penn State. Number five, Clemson. Number six, Washington. Um. So if, if you think I'm way down on Florida State, then I must be
2: way high on somebody. Uh, I would not have Florida State below three. So I, I would have them some combination of Ohio State, Florida State, Alabama.
1: So here's where I should note that the last one of these I did, which was, you know, the morning after the national championship game, I did have Florida State in the top five. I, uh, here's what I'm worried about with Florida State. I didn't see any, or see or hear any evidence out of Spring Ball that their passing game is going to be much better than it was last year. They're going to be great on defense. Derwin James is back, no question about it. Even though they lost Alvin Cook, who, by the way, it's absurd that he slipped into the second round. Congratulations to the Vikings on that steal. Uh, you know, with Cam Akers coming in, and I've always liked Jacques Patrick. He's fast. Um, this should be good there. But what evidence do I have? with them losing all those receivers from last year, that you know they're going to, A, protect him better, uh, DeAndre Francois, and
2: B, just have a more productive passing game. I just have more faith in him in his second year in the system. They get their best player in the program back. That's Derwin James. They missed him. I think Cam Akers will be a big-time guy right right off the bat. Everybody I know who recruited him thought he was he was a special player. Um, I don't know. And I, I do have a lot of respect for Jimbo Fisher's coaching ability, so – with a lot of, you know, they got 10 guys back. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm close to picking them as my preseason number one. I mean, I'm going to pick Ohio State as mine. Uh, but I have them right there with Alabama for number two. I have more confidence in them than I do in Clemson coming off of replacing Deshaun and winning the national title. I don't think Clemson's going to fall apart. I just... Mm-hmm. I would pick Florida State out of there. I think they have better athletes on defense than Penn State does. And I have more confidence in them than I do in USC at this point.
1: On the one hand, I feel like Penn State was one of the best teams in the country by the end of last season. They bring back basically the whole offense except for one really good receiver, obviously. Why wouldn't they pick up where they left off and be a top-five team? Uh, On the other hand... I mean, who's this? There's no real star on that Penn State defense. Is that really going to be a top shelf defense?
2: No, I'm I'm not sure it will be. But having said that, I, I mean, this is I mean, I think they're like a, somewhere around seven or eight or nine, something like that. Because I think their offense is as good as anybody, and I think their defense is is pretty good. And to me, when you're in when you're in a very good division, which they are in, I think that makes them you know probably number seven or eight
1: curious your thoughts on the sec teams in here because uh, that was you know going into it i actually had no idea who end up being my second third fourth highest etc sec teams obviously alabama but then auburn was the only one other one i had in the top 10 at number nine Jarrett stidham a big part of that obviously georgia at number 12 then you got to go down to florida at 17 lsu at 19 that's about it
2: you confident in the Auburn defense? They've lost some pretty good players.
1: Yeah, they did lose some pretty good players. Um, I don't think, th- I think they take a little bit of a step back, but they were pretty good last year. They kind of quietly, mm-hmm. after several years of being a weakness, uh, really improved. Marlon Davidson's going to be really good. I just think their offense is going to be considerably better.
2: And you have Georgia in the top 12. Uh, are you sold on Jacob Eason at this point in year two?
1: Um. Yeah, I, I think he'll be pretty good. I, I I don't know if he's gonna deliver on the you know kind of savior hype that he had coming out of high school. I don't I don't know if he is that guy, but he wasn't bad last year. He just kind of had your typical uh, freshman growing pains kind of season. Kind of reminded me of when Stafford started as a true freshman there. If you look up his numbers from that year, they weren't very good. Uh, I think he'll be better, and I think it helps to have both Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle back there. Um, he, he, he's going to have a lot, uh, he's going to have a lot better supporting cast and also just everybody knows what they're doing better. Second, six, there's always that coach whose team takes a big step forward from year one to year two. And looking around the
2: landscape, I feel like Georgia is that team. Okay. Well, I think you're, you're going out on there. Um, also interesting to note you had Kentucky in your top 20, which kind of caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I don't I don't have oh. Kentucky in my top twenty. I'm sorry about that. And Tennessee was a uh, a near miss. Who is the team
2: that you think you are most out on a limb compared to other uh, other people? Apparently, Florida State. Yeah, I would say on that. Yes, I would agree. No, with you. Um, I'm very as you you know you said you're bullish on K State. K State, yeah. Wisconsin, I would not have had them that high, but I would not have had them do the things they did last year. So. I, I kind of feel like, feel like feel, in these
1: early top twenty fives, there's no. I mean, we know that some teams that were really good last year are going to tank, and vice versa. That happens. I don't know that I'm ready to make those kind of predictions yet. I'm not straying that far from. Would I be
2: crazy to predict Nebraska to win that division this this time? No, I don't think so. Um, I think Tanner Lee will be a big upgrade from what they had at quarterback. So I am. I'm. I don't know. I'm going to go that. I'm going to. I think I'm going in that direction.
1: So, those are. I mean, those are the two. I mean, I, Iowa could be in there. I don't know. Nobody can predict what Iowa will do from year to year, but it could be.
2: Uh, I feel like Josie Jewel. Josie Jewel is still there. He feel like he's been there since uh, since Brad Banks, and they like teammates. <laughs> um. So yeah, Kansas
1: State. I think might be the team I'm higher on than most. I just I've seen this this before. I mean, they went nine and four last year. Nobody remembers that. They they had a nice end to the season um they finished 9 and 4 and Jesse Ertz the 18 starters back Jesse Ertz mm-hmm. like this this reminds me of some of his better teams where he's got a he needs to have a quarterback coming back that's generally when they do their best and then i don't know they they kind of made it to 9 and 4 last year a little bit of smoke and mirrors i think they'll actually be a really good team this year
2: i don't disagree with you i'm just i think they're a top 25 team i'm just not quite I, you know, when I look at your math, I, I don't know if you can have a Big Twelve with four top 20, four top fifteen teams in it. Didn't
1: that just happen? Uh, Did it? Yeah, two years ago we had that the season where the Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and and TCU TCU ended up not finishing that high. I don't think, but they went through that round robin where they were all in the top
2: fifteen because they all didn't play each other till the end of the year. Yeah, I'm just saying they don't they don't end up that way. They may get bunched at that point, but well, these are not
1: predictions. These
2: are early May. Here's where things stand coming off That's spring ball. That's your pop out thing, huh?
1: I'll do predictions in August like everybody else, um, but you know, this this is not the time for that.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh. It dawned on me, Stu, this week are the big conference meetings out in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Pac-12, Big 12. This year, the Big Ten is out there. We'll be there. And we will be there. Um, By the way, have you seen the forecast for Phoenix this week?
1: No. It's by the time we leave there, we will see
2: triple digits. Okay. All right. Well, that's not going to shock me. Um, So what I was going to say is how crazy a difference it is a year ago you remember a year ago at this time that you know Arp Riles was still the head coach at baylor
1: yeah believe me i remember vividly him um you know kind of like just like business as usual coming in and out of the meetings and i remember saying somebody one of the reporters because the way it works is i don't know it's usually maybe in the neighborhood of 10 reporters Mm -hmm. um although
2: Last year, there was more because the Big 12 had its Yeah, no, so there were more there than talk. usual,
1: especially from the Big 12. You're right. Just kind of milling around. And then if you know the coaches, they'll say hi on and they're way in and out of the meetings. And I remember somebody saying, like, do you feel kind of dirty now about Baylor and the coaching staff? And we're like, yeah, you know, we do. And then Bryles comes out of the meeting, and there's kind of a scrum around him. And I just remember, like, this is so awkward. I'd already written my first really critical column I'm thinking, mm-hmm. but we didn't have. I mean, I remember on this podcast debating and debating whether or not they would fire him. I thought, no way. You thought, you, you know, you had a feeling they would. I just remember right up until the day it happened thinking they're never going to fire him. So we didn't really have any hunch that that was a possibility at that time. And clearly he didn't either. And it was just kind of a business as usual chat, other than I believe
2: you asked the one. It was about Sean Oakman. I don't That's exactly right. remember what it was. And it was one of those where I was, you know, I was curious as to which way. OK, was that going to be the question that other people are going to kind of go in that direction? Because honestly, our Riles was more engaged, like for for people just curious about this sort of thing. The Pac-12 coaches are way more receptive to talking at these things than the than their big 12 counterparts. I mean, short of Gary Patterson, you know, even the guys who are pretty friendly, the Dana Holgersons, they kind of go on their way. And I think, it, you know, Mike Gundy's probably the uh, the farthest end of the spectrum. He's like, you know, it's almost like the person who's like just walked out of a courthouse. You know, he does not want to be seen talking to you. But There
1: must be some sort of mem- like before they break from the meeting, somebody must say like, OK, there's a bunch of reporters waiting outside. Don't talk to them because, I mean, some of those guys just just like could not try to get past us faster. Yeah, And we're not, like, there to do anything scandalous. It's just, like, this laid-back, you know, vibe, like, hey, you know, how's your team looking, blah, blah, blah. But, no, they – you're right. It couldn't be more different between them and the Pac-12. And I'll be interested to see this year with the Big Ten, first time they've brought their football coaches to
2: this, um, how media-friendly they are. Well, you know, if Pat Fitz starts blowing people off and and, uh, P.J. Fleck starts elbowing people out of the way, then they're taking their cues from the Big 12. Yeah, yeah. PJ will probably be a popular guy there. He was, you know what? I remember seeing. I'm trying to, maybe the the Mac is there. I remember running into him last year, two years ago, and he's the one guy, even in triple digits, who shows up in a you know in a suit and tie.
1: You know the uh, the American will be there. What do you think about the they they did not waste any time after that draft number mm-hmm. sending out the email Monday morning about their new strategic plan, and you got to admire the gumption, right? Uh, they've been saying for, I don't know, about a year now that they, you know, would like us to start referring to it as a power six and you think, you know, okay, haha. But in this press release, it's as if that's already happened. This press release says, um, American athletic conference commissioner, Mike Resco today released the conference's strategic plan, which focuses on providing students at its member institutions with the highest quality academic, athletic, and personal experience competing in a
2: power six conference. They just use that term as if it's industry standard. Hey, you know what? You get the shine after being the fifth team in the the
1: draft pool. Well, do you think that's realistic? Do you think they will ever be viewed as one of the six? I don't either. I don't think so. No, because they do have good teams at the top of that conference. I mean, there's no question about it. But there's just the second half of the conference, maybe even if you start even higher than that, doesn't resemble a power
2: conference in any way. yeah. And what you're talking about, what we're talking about, and what a lot of people are conditioned to think of as meritocracy. And I don't think the people who are the decision makers who have the access and the power are all on board for a meritocracy at this point.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because in the BCS, which part of the BC, I mean, there are many reasons for the demise of the BCS. But one of them was the pressure they felt from the Utah attorney general and others about the access or or limited access to the schools from those conferences. Well, they actually had a mathematical formula in place that if a conference in the Mountain West came close, performed at a certain level over, I think, a three-year period, then they would become uh, an automatic qualifier. No such thing exists in the playoff because, and this is a little kind of clunky to explain, but there's no unified contract so in the bcs there was uh, you know these six conferences that were referred to as automatic qualifiers right in the playoff system it's not there is no such thing it's just that the acc has a contract with the orange bowl and the big 10 and the pac-12 have a contract with the rose bowl etc so the only way they could kind of crack that is if a bowl voluntarily willingly said we'd like to do that with you guys like a peach bowl we, we don't have a conference with aligned with us right now so we'd like to sign you guys up and i just don't see that happening because they don't have big brand name programs yeah, right
2: they don't have the impetus to do it so i don't know it's just kind of a shrug your shoulders out of it reality it's unfortunate but it's just kind of that's the way it is now
1: now would you say well you did kind of say this already with the big 12 but would you say the american is closer to
2: the power five than the other group of five uh, conferences It was last year. Mountain West has some good football players in it. I think it is cyclical.
1: It is cyclical because what you just said, but this year they only had eight guys picked and they were all pretty far down the list. Right. Okay, so seeing as we're going to be in the same place, which happens so infrequently now, we should probably do a podcast from
2: Phoenix. Who would you most like to have as a guest on the podcast? Harbaugh. Well, no, <laughs> did not That's hesitate, right? No.
1: Big Ten coaches are coming. I assume he'll be there, fresh off his vacation in Rome. So, of course, and I'm sure he'll be happy to
2: do that. Okay, who would be the second and third choices if we can't get Harbaugh?
1: Um, Leach is always a good conversation. I'm sure that would be a very entertaining podcast. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, I too don't know. too rambly. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. What about he P- would not be my
2: second or third. Who's your second and third? Uh, who would be my second? Is or PJ Flack one of them? You know, we could have PJ Flack on. I think we probably should. That's a you know. Don't make any promises we can't keep. I think we could get that one. Okay. You who know, I would like to get, and he was a great guest. I had him on. at my like, I think I did like four podcasts when I was at CBS, but one of them was Mike Gundy, and he was actually a very good podcast guest. Oh, but I'm sure the, he would be a good podcast. He guess. is the like least likely guy to stop at this thing, though. Well, we could just chase him all the way to the pool. We have a better chance of like of like cutting his hair while he's walking. <laughs> as opposed to like asking him to oh, stop. No, that's
1: a good point. This is this is actually going to be my first time seeing the mullet up close. <laughs> Assuming he comes anywhere close to us,
2: you won't see it up close.
1: Um, I'll see. I'll see it in person. I
2: don't know how close I'll be, but, um, yeah. That that could be one of the highlights of the week. You know how different the technology is. Remember a couple of years ago, you were all gung ho on Periscope and doing it from there. And now you're not going to touch it.
1: No, oh, I might if people want. People want. I did a couple of Periscopes during the first round of the draft that did pretty well. Um, we could do we could do a Periscope. We do Facebook Live. You know, we spend we have a lot of idle time there while these guys are in meetings. We should probably do that too. All right. Well, hopefully we'll have some surprise guests for you guys. That's the key word there, surprise, because it's going to be a surprise to us too who it's going to end up being. As always, if you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And take the time to leave a five-star rating if you get a chance. It helps get the word out. We'll see you next time.